If this is well written and to the point, I am pleased. If it is poorly written and uninteresting, I have still done my best. With this, I conclude. This is Pints with Jack, Season 5.5, Episode 3, The Pilgrim's Retrospective. Good morning, everyone. It's David here. And today's quotation comes from the signature on my personal email account, and also from the deuterocanonical book of 2nd Maccabees. I just thought I'd share. Welcome to the final episode of our little interregnum between seasons 5 and 6. By this point in time, you've probably heard that I was invited to address the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society this past October when I was back in England with my family. We were only going to be in Oxford for a little over two days. I wanted to finally take that stroll around Addison's Walk and also take Marie and Alexander to visit Lewis's home. Once we had the itinerary planned, I sent some emails to people in Oxford whom we've previously had on the show, letting them know that we'd be in town and inviting them out for a pint. Dr. Michael Ward replied to my email saying that there was actually going to be a meeting of the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society on one of those nights when I'd be in town, and he invited me to attend. Then, a little while later, another email arrived saying that the currently scheduled speaker, Dr. Stephen Beebe, also a former guest of the show, he was speaker that night and was offering to postpone his own talk so that I could address the society while we were in town. This was delightful, humbling, kind of terrifying. <laughs> and so what you're about to hear is the speech which I wrote on our way to England and ultimately to Oxford, which I gave to the society that night. Now, if you've listened to Pints with Jack for some time, some of this material and some of the sentiments expressed will be familiar to you, such as our podcast's origin story. But I think there should be enough new material in this episode to be of interest even to the most regular of listeners to the show. So, to tide you over until the start of Season 6 next week, here is my address to the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society. Good evening, everyone. It is a great honour to be here. My name is David Bates, and I am the organiser and one of the hosts of the C.S. Lewis podcast, Pints with Jack. And in case you're unfamiliar with our podcast, my two co-hosts and I gather every Tuesday morning for a discussion, much like the Inklings did at The Eagle and Child. And in these podcast episodes, we slowly work our way through a Lewis book each season. Uh, additionally, we often also get together on Thursdays also, like the Inklings in Lewis's rooms at Magdalen College. And in these Thursday episodes, we typically talk to Lewis scholars about books that they've written, as well as to enthusiasts about Inklings-related topics. And also, like the Inklings, while we're doing all of this, we like to share in banter and fine beverages, either of the alcoholic or caffeinated variety. I was not originally meant to be your speaker tonight, Although I am English, I live in the United States, specifically in La Crosse, Wisconsin, 
This is actually my first time back in the country since COVID began. I'm here in England principally to introduce my mother to her daughter-in-law and to her one-year-old grandson. As you can tell, COVID was a very busy time for me. Anyway, I'd wanted to visit Oxford for a couple of days during our stay, so I contacted Dr. Ward, who is a former guest of our podcast, and I told him that we'd be visiting and invited him out for a meal. Coincidentally, if one in fact believes in such things, it turned out that we were going to be here during a society meeting. So he first of all invited me to come and listen, and after your original speaker, Dr. Stephen Beebe, another former guest of the show, agreed to give his talk in the spring, I was invited by the society to address you all tonight. So, my hearty thanks to Dr. Beebe for being so gracious, and my apologies to you all, since I'm sure that his talk would have been far more scholarly and profound. Now, in the United States, I've given some talks before, principally on sacred scripture, church history, and evangelism and apologetics. However, I've spoken a little bit about Lewis as well, but these Lewis talks have all been introductory talks, geared towards newcomers to Lewis. And I don't think that there will be much in those previous talks which would be revelatory to members of the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society. In Dr. Beebe's book, C.S. Lewis and the Craft of Communication, he says that Lewis was audience-centered, and that this was one of the qualities which made him such an effective communicator. So I thought that I likewise would attempt to be audience-centered. But what could I possibly say which might be of interest to such a prestigious society as the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society? And after some thought, I decided to share with you tonight a little bit about my journey with C.S. Lewis from childhood until now, specifically focusing upon the podcasting journey of the past few years. Pints with Jack has now been running for five years in total. That's about 325 published episodes. So it's actually been rather delightful and productive for me to take some time over this past week or so to think about where we've been, where we're going, and what lessons we've learned along the way. Like many of you, I'm sure, I discovered C.S. Lewis during childhood. Some of the earliest books I can remember being read to me are The Chronicles of Narnia, in fact, Narnia was often read to me as a very small child while I was in the bath, in an attempt to keep me in there longer and to prolong my contact with the soap and water. As those of you who are parents know, little boys dissolve in soap and water and so they insist on getting out as soon as possible. So how much of a Narnia nerd was I, even as a child? Well, I had a large plastic push-along walker in the form of a lion, which I loved deeply and who was inevitably called Aslan. Aslan had a compartment on his back where you could store things. So whenever keys, coins, or anything else really important went missing in our house, it was always a good idea to check with Aslan first. When I was five and six, I think, my mother took me to see a couple of stage productions of Narnia here in Oxford, and she loves to tell the story of how, while the other children all around me were being little terrors, I sat on the edge of my seat, utterly transfixed, silent, particularly whenever Aslan came on stage. I am also old enough to remember when it was announced by the BBC that they would be adapting the Chronicles for a TV show. 
And I remember sending out invitations to my friends and building a makeshift box office to host a watch party in my living room for those early episodes. The last time I can really remember reading Lewis as a child, I was about the age of 10. And at this point, my schooling really began in earnest. I completed it and went to university. And during that time, I came to embrace fully the faith in which I was raised. And so after graduation, I settled in Cheltenham and I joined a really wonderful church. And during that time there, my small group leaders were running a drug awareness course for a couple of months, and they asked me to babysit their children on the nights when they were teaching. Now, I was a single man in his early 20s who had never really been around many children. I had no idea how to look after these small human beings, so I just used the tricks that my parents had used, namely bribery. If the kids had their teeth brushed and had changed into their pajamas, I would read a chapter of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe before bed. With dramatic voices, of course. And this is how I was reintroduced to Lewis. I enjoyed the books as much, if not more, than the kids. So once we had finished the book and my babysitting duties were over, I bought the entire Narnia collection and reread them all in the space for a week or two. And it was then mentioned to me by someone at my church that Lewis wrote more than just Narnia. So it was then that I discovered some of the other classics, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, and The Problem of Pain. A year or so later, I began working in California. The reasons for my move are manifold and not particularly pertinent to this talk, but let's just say that I really wanted an adventure, I didn't feel like I deserved any more rain, uh, but whenever Americans ask me why I was living in their country, I would just tell them that I'm in the USA as a cultural missionary. And speaking of culture, I was at a party in San Diego when I first met Matt Bush for the first time. And like at all good parties, I ended up talking about C.S. Lewis. And Matt and I shared something of a, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. That kind of moment that Lewis describes in The Four Loves. I'd been saying for a while by this point that I wanted to join a book club where we could discuss some Lewis books in more depth. Well, Matt and I agreed that even if it was just the two of us, that was sure to be fun. So we exchanged details and agreed upon a place and a time. I posted this information on Facebook and was amazed when a bunch of other people wanted to join us. And so began our San Diego C.S. Lewis book club. We would meet on the first Saturday of each month to discuss the assigned reading. And it was a wonderful group, a lot of fun. And our one-hour meetings in a coffee shop would often spill over into shared lunches together elsewhere. After a few meetings, I saw two issues. Firstly, we had many people from outside of San Diego asking if they could Skype into our meeting. And that just sounded like a logistical nightmare. Secondly, I was feeling like we were moving too quickly through the material. We got through mere Christianity in just four meetings, and that seemed to me like we had to gloss over far too much. And so I met up with Matt and suggested that we solve both of these issues by launching a podcast. This would allow those outside of San Diego to be part of our discussion virtually, but without the technical issues and the audio problems. It would also allow us to discuss mere Christianity chapter by chapter. 
And so with some cheap microphones sitting atop piles of books themselves, balanced rather precariously on an ironing board, we began recording our inaugural episode. And since then, we've completed five seasons, and we've studied mere Christianity, the great divorce, till we have faces, the Screwtape letters, the four loves, and several of the Narnian chronicles. And alongside that, we've also interviewed many, many guests. In the remainder of my time tonight, I'd like to share some of the lessons I've learned along the way, both about studying Lewis in general, and also about the creative process of launching and developing something like a podcast. Lesson number one, if you want to understand Lewis better, read him slowly. In preparation for tonight, I went back and I listened to the finale episodes of each of our seasons. I noticed that in each of those retrospective end of season episodes, I always comment on how good it's been to read that season's book slowly. For example, in the last season, we read The Four Loves over 15 one-hour episodes. Reading a book slowly and discussing it with friends means that you really have time to chew over it. It gives you more time to pay attention to the language being used and the ideas being presented. And at least for myself, I've also noticed that it means I tend to get more curious about the biblical allusions being made, and I look up the mythological and literary references which suffuse Lewis's text. For books like Till We Have Faces in particular, taking your time really enhances the reading process. I'd actually not read that book before we covered it on the show, and so I read along episode by episode. My girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, was reading it along with me as we prepared for each episode, and although she complained incessantly to me about the pace, (laughs) always wanting to rush ahead and find out what happens, she admitted at the end that she thought she got a lot more out of it as a result. My co-host Matt has also sometimes complained about our slow pace through the books. Funnily enough, actually, he was once recommended by a priest in confession to read the Screwtape Letters. And Matt responded that he had read it before and was in fact currently reading it. It was our book of the season. But then the priest urged him to read it slowly. If only he knew that I was making Matt read it very slowly over the course of 31 episodes, despite his complaints. It always feels very nice to feel validated by the church and to know that the Bride of Christ really has your back. So, lesson number one. If you want to understand Lewis better, read him slowly. Lesson number two. Everybody loves Lewis. Now, this should be of no surprise to anyone here. I'd always known that Lewis had broad popularity across Christian denominations, but running this podcast, talking to our listeners and guests, it's really made it abundantly clear. I'm guessing that if we polled everyone in this room, we'd find a very broad range of religious backgrounds. And in fact, Lewis was quoted at the Mass I attended this last Sunday in Crewe. Lewis seems capable of generating goodwill across denominations like no other figure I can think of. And while he emphasizes mere Christianity, it's not as though he never weighs in on matters of disputed doctrine. Yet he still somehow garners so much goodwill. For example, even though he takes issue with a number of Calvinistic doctrines, he is beloved by Presbyterians. I decided to investigate this curious phenomenon in a little bit more detail this past season by hosting an Ecumenism Month. In it, I interviewed a number of Lewis fans, 
an Eastern Orthodox professor, a Reformed pastor, a Mormon missionary, a Baptist teacher, and even an Orthodox Jew. I asked them what it was about Lewis that they enjoyed so much. And while answers varied a little, I would say that the consensus was that it was his clarity and his charity which you find come across in his writings. The Christians all spoke about the beauty with which Jack presented Jesus. And my Orthodox Jewish guest, Yaakov, he spoke about Lewis's dogged pursuit of truth. And this rather corroborated what Lewis himself wrote in the preface to Mere Christianity. Hostility for my writing has come from borderline people, men not exactly obedient to any communion. This I find curiously consoling. It is at her center, where her truest children dwell, that each communion is really closest to every other in spirit, if not in doctrine. And this suggests that at the center of each there is something, or a someone, who against all divergences of belief, all differences of temperament, all memories of mutual persecution, speaks with the same voice. So lesson number two, everybody loves Lewis. Lesson number three, reading Lewis is an invitation to reading more widely and deeply. Over the past five years of running the podcast, my bookshelf has changed quite significantly. And this is because to read Lewis is an invitation to read more widely and deeply than before. In his works, he tackles difficult topics relating to philosophy, theology, and literature, yet always with that quintessential Lewisian clarity, transposing hard-to-understand concepts into analogies and images to help us grasp them. For example, when reading Mere Christianity, Matt and I were both struck by how Lewis introduces his readers to the ancient concept of theosis, the teaching which emphasizes transformation through participation with the divine nature. But Jack does it with fresh language and memorable imagery, particularly for Narnia fans, of statues being brought to life. But not only does Lewis encourage you to read more deeply, he encourages you to read more widely. As I'm sure you all know, his work is littered with references and allusions to other books. In fact, I would argue that Surprised by Joy is effectively a giant bibliography of all his favorite books. And I would have never have picked up George MacDonald had Lewis not told me that MacDonald had baptized his imagination. And also if he hadn't then helped me by providing a convenient anthology of MacDonald's work. Now, all of these literary references can sometimes make Lewis a little bit harder to read, but he then does invite the reader to go further up and further in, so to speak, into the Western canon. And actually going forward on the podcast, we're going to dedicate a month each season from now on, where we'll be inviting on experts to the show who are going to talk to us about the authors who really shaped Lewis's thinking, such as Dante, Milton, and Shakespeare. So, lesson number three. Reading Lewis is an invitation to reading more widely and deeply. Lesson number four. If you want to understand the man, get to know his mates. Lewis wrote in The Four Loves that friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create. Friendship has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. When we began the podcast, we only had in mind to talk about Lewis, but as we progressed through the seasons, we realized that you really can't talk about Lewis apart from his friends. For this understanding, we are greatly indebted to Dr. Diana Glyer and her two books, Bandersnatch and The Company They Keep. I thoroughly recommend both. 
On the podcast, we've had Tolkien Month, which was a wonderful excuse to invite on all of my favourite Tolkien podcasters, the guys from The Prancing Pony, The Tolkien Road, and Tea with Tolkien. We've also had a month dedicated to one inkling who had long intimidated me, namely Owen Barfield. And funnily enough, my interest in Barfield was piqued when Owen Barfield sent me an email. Shortly before my last trip to England, I received an email from Owen Barfield saying that he'd been enjoying the show and would love to grab a pint next time I was back in England. Now, needless to say, I was very confused, but those of you who are in the know will know that I soon find out that it was the Inkling's grandson, also called Owen Barfield, who also runs his grandfather's literary estate. Next season, we'll be doing a deep dive on George MacDonald. I still haven't quite worked up my nerve to tackle Charles Williams, so if any of you have suggestions, uh, they would be greatly appreciated. But in addition to dedicated months, we've also had some one-off episodes focusing on different inklings. Dr. Don W. King is bringing out a book on Lewis's brother Warney very soon, so he came on the show to talk about that. And I also interviewed Sarah O'Dell about her upcoming book on the medical inkling, the very fascinating Dr. Robert Havard. So, lesson number four was, if you want to understand the man, get to know his mates. Lesson number five. Lewis is more than just his signature classics. A few years ago, the publisher HarperCollins brought out the complete C.S. Lewis signature classics. It was a box set containing seven of Lewis's most popular books. And although we've covered many of these signature classics on the show... Over the course of doing this podcast, I've discovered that Lewis is so much more than just his signature classics. He truly is one of the most versatile writers in the 20th century. I was introduced to Lewis via Narnia, and then after that, I principally knew him as a Christian apologist through works such as Mere Christianity and The Problem of Pain and The Abolition of Man. In fact, this past season, we had an apologetics month where I interviewed eight different apologists about Jack's various arguments and apologetic strategies. However, as the podcast progressed and we interviewed more guests, we started to see that Lewis really is a jack of all genres, writing apologetics, fairy tales, science fiction, essays, autobiography, and anthology, not to mention his academic work in literary criticism. One particular area I've recently discovered is Lewis's poetry. This past season, we had a poetry month and had the Reverend Malcolm Geit, Dr. Don W. King, Dr. J. Root, and others help unpack it for us. And I'd heard from many quarters that Lewis's poetry was pretty bad. But I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised by what I found there. So I would suggest to anyone here that if you've typically only read one kind of literature from Lewis, maybe try something a little bit different. For myself, after the success of Poetry Month, I've decided that in the run-up to Christmas, I'll be reading English history in the 16th century, excluding drama. And when the podcast comes back for season six... I'll let listeners know how that goes. So lesson number five was, Lewis is more than just his signature classics. Lesson number six, it's more fun in a fellowship. If I had to pick the most important lesson out of this collection, I would say that it's probably this one. Reading Lewis, and indeed any writer, is more fun and enjoyable when read and discussed in a community. To quote once again from The Four Loves, But two, far from being the necessary number for friendship, it's not even the best. We possess each friend not less but more, as the number of those with whom we share him increases. I think it's for this reason that Aslan always calls children into Narnia in groups. 
After we'd released a few episodes of season one, we were very pleasantly surprised when we started receiving messages from those who'd taken the time to listen to us. Some of them weren't even related to us, and others we didn't even know. These listener messages really enriched our own reading and understanding of Lewis, and it was clear that many of these listeners appreciated eavesdropping on our discussions, especially if they had nobody else with whom they could talk about Lewis. As our episodes continued to be released, an online community started to coalesce around our podcast without us even really trying. And now we purposely attempt to nurture this community. We have a dedicated Slack channel for our supporters where they can really get to know us and each other. And in this online chat room, we talk about the episodes and we survey our listeners for guest suggestions and interview questions. Some really great friendships and even more have been formed there. We've also had different kinds of events to help foster the community. We all attended a virtual tour of Lewis's home, The Kilns. We've live-streamed the Narnia Code documentary and had a live Q&A video chat with Dr. Ward. We've sent out Christmas boxes with goodies and celebrated with a tea together. And on September 28th each year, we celebrate Sidecar Day, where we make sidecar cocktails and we celebrate Lewis's ride to the zoo in his brother's sidecar, where his conversion to Christianity was completed. We've also helped some listeners start reading groups, helping move the community from cyberspace into the real world. And speaking of which, we've managed to meet some listeners in person, such as at the Montreat Conference. And when my wife and I visited Dallas, we stayed with a listener and met up with three others. And since you have all now heard me speak in person and we've met each other, I will be calling on you next time I'm back in Oxford looking for a place to stay. We've also had fellowship with other creators through podcast crossovers. For example, on The Talking Beasts, I defended Dr. Ward's thesis in The Narnia Code. On Forte Catholic, I squared off in debate against Caitlin from Tea with Tolkien as to who is better, C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien. Finally, as new people enter the podcasting space, such as The Lamppost Listener and Lesser Known Lewis, we've had the opportunity to support and collaborate with them. But of course, the, the real mithril in our minds have been our guests. It all began with Justin Wiggins, this chap that I saw in a Facebook group who said he had just written a book related to Lewis. I thought this was an interesting topic, so I interviewed him. And today we've interviewed over about 130 people. Justin Briley, host of The Unbelievable Podcast, Callistos Ware, the late Eastern Orthodox Metropolitan, Patty Callahan, New York Times bestselling author who wrote a novel about the romance between Lewis and Joy Davidman. Murphy Thelen. This was a dad who is producing a movie adaptation of Out of the Silent Planet, starring his children and their friends. And of course, there was Andrew Lasso, who came onto the show as a guest a couple of times during our season on Till We Have Faces. And we enjoyed him so much, we invited him to stay permanently as a co-host. Now is a good time to point out I have no PhD. I don't even have a bachelor's in a Lewis-related field, such as philosophy, theology, or English literature. My degree is in computer science. However, I wear the label of amateur with pride, since etymologically it just means one who loves. And I love the works of C.S. Lewis. And despite this amateur status, I have the honor of regularly speaking to scholars from across the world about their Inklings-related research and bringing it to our listeners. And as a result, on our podcast, we have a wonderful intersection of amateurs and scholars.
I've also found that it is much more acceptable to ask, would you like to come on my podcast? Rather than gush saying, I loved your book so much that I want to become your best friend and pepper you with questions for an hour, record it, then listen to it repeatedly, and then share it with my family and friends. Apparently, people consider that invitation creepy. So, lesson number six. It's more fun in a fellowship. Lesson number seven. Embrace the iterative process. Chesterton was right when he said, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. As I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, when we began our podcast, it wasn't at all glamorous. We didn't really know what we were doing. We thought it might be fun to record some episodes about mere Christianity. We knew a handful of people that we thought would enjoy it. And we really had no more concrete plans beyond hitting record and seeing what happened. Actually, it was only when we discovered that Matt and I shared a personal favorite book in The Great Divorce that we committed to doing season two. And after that, the whole enterprise just took on a life of its own. We upgraded our microphones, we built a website, we set up a Patreon account, we started reaching out to more potential guests, we added another co-host, and we carried on our way through Lewis's corpus. We started small and grew. And crucially, throughout the past five years, we've had listeners write to us with advice, corrections, disagreements, and encouragement. The Lewis community has been a crucial part in helping us shape future episodes and the direction of the podcast. And so if you have some thoughts as to what you would like to see, please find me afterwards. So, to recap, here are the seven lessons. Lesson number one. If you want to understand Lewis better, read him slowly. Lesson number two. Everybody loves Lewis. Lesson number three. Reading Lewis is an invitation to read him more widely and deeply. Lesson number four. If you want to understand the man, get to know his mates. Lesson number five. Lewis is more than just his signature classics. Lesson number six. It's more fun in a fellowship. Lesson number seven. Embrace the iterative process. I hope this presentation has been of some interest to you. If nothing else, I trust that it has offered a view into one particular corner of the Lewis world. I'd like to end with one final thought. Frederick Buchner wrote in Wishful Thinking, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Over the past five years, much of my deep gladness has come from Lewis and recording Pints with Jack. And if the messages we've received are anything to go by, we've located a deep hunger out there in the world. I do hope that something I've said tonight might inspire some of you to maybe try sharing your love of Lewis with the world in some new way, whether you are a Lewis scholar or not. Because it turns out that even if you're just a software engineer in Wisconsin and you are a complete C.S. Lewis amateur, it is in fact possible that someday, somehow, you might find yourself addressing the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society. Thank you. As I said at the beginning, next week we'll be beginning the delayed season six, but I hope you've enjoyed these episodes from season five and a half. I'm recording this episode on the Feast of Epiphany, which, at least today in the West, focuses upon the visit of the wise men. 
They brought gifts from their homeland to the baby Jesus, and this episode is my little gift to you. And hopefully in that talk there was at least some gold, and I'll hope you'll forgive the rather hastily assembled Frankenstein of a talk. But regardless, I hope you'll stay tuned next week for season six, when there will most definitely be myrrh. <laughs> Please join us then, when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers.